Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Books to Last podcast. For this episode, I'm joined by Ashley V. Robinson, comic book writer, actress and professor over at the Geek History Lesson podcast. I'm really excited to share this episode with you all. Ashley is one of my absolute favourite people and I had so much fun having this discussion with her. I hope you all enjoy it too. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm so good, how are you? I'm good, thank you so much for joining me. It's really, uh, this is, yeah, really exciting for me just because I I knew that I definitely wanted you on the podcast um, when I first came up with the idea and I was like away a bit, but the fact that you were interested is just amazing, so thank yeah. you. <laughs> Listeners, Jordan says, uh, for having me on, I bullied my way on. <laughs> I responded to her post like we didn't know each other <laughs> and asked to be on. So I am so excited to be here. Thank you. Well, I, honestly, I just, yeah, no, incredibly excited. Trying not, trying to, I'm going to be cool. I'm cool. I'm cool. You are cool. <laughs> we're already friends, so there's no issue. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm actually really, yeah, really relaxed about this. This is, this is not like a big deal at all. No. <laughs> no. No. Um, <laughs> Okay, so welcome to Books to Last podcast. Uh, just for the benefit of anyone listening who hasn't listened before, uh, the premise of the podcast is that we challenge people who love to read, book lovers, um, anyone who's ever read a book, or preferably more than five, um, to, <laughs> <laughs> to pick the five books that they absolutely couldn't live without and uh, take away to their deserted island slash mystery locale. Um, just to sort of kick off, uh, the conversation, um, what are you reading at the moment? Are you liking it? What, what's your current read? So I'm reading two books right now, which is typically how I operate last year. Uh, my very good friend and uh, a wonderful poet, Sudarshana Mohanty, started a, I, I guess we'll call it a social justice book club, where uh, me and a bunch of other ladies, and it is only ladies, even though men are invited, <laughs> uh, we're reading like a bunch of books about social justice and change in an effort to try and be better humans. And so right now we're reading The New Jim Crow, uh, which is about the Jim Crow laws and segregation laws in America. It is fascinating, um, but it is a hard read. And it is a very academic book. So there's a lot of words on the page and the chapters are very long. <laughs> so I read uh, a lot of YA still and I read a lot of comic books. So it's just a, you got to shift your mind into a different way of thinking. I am enjoying it, but it doesn't bring me joy the way fiction yeah. brings me joy. If you know what I mean? But I think um, I think engaging with material like that is very important, especially I know nobody can see me right now, but I am a Caucasian person. <laughs> so that's something that I'm trying to onboard. And then I'm also finishing up Frank Herbert's Dune, which I tried to read when I was a teenager, stopped, and then I read half of it last year, and then stopped. I read like 300 pages when I was uh, on a set shooting a TV show one day, because a lot of being on set is sitting around and waiting, 
And uh, then I just picked it up again. So I got for anyone who knows Dune, I got to the part where Paul meets the Fremen and drinks the water, uh, which is actually where I think the movie's going to cut. So that worked out really nicely. So now I'm reading basically what I think is going to be the second movie uh, when they come out in October. And that combines my dual love of science fiction and fantasy uh, in an epic story. So I'm really, really enjoying Dune, even though and you got to remember, it's written in like the 50s, 60s. Uh, It's definitely a white savior story. Um, and there's, uh, but the women in it are very good and very powerful and there's low key witches in it, which I didn't know. And then I learned there were space witches and I said, oh, I, I better read this now because <laughs> if there's a witch in it, I'm going to read it. <laughs> oh, so I, I was going to say that is the one that they're making into a, a, a movie that's well at some point soon. <laughs> yes. With Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya, I believe playing the leads. Yeah. I saw the announcement when Zendaya was, uh, was announced. There was a lot of uh, excitement. She's, um not someone I uh, really was aware of before sort of I think I want to say Spider-Man was probably mm-hmm. the first one where it was uh, I really was aware and then uh, I really liked her in Greatest Showman so I'll probably end up watching the movie just because I think she's excellent um, I, I like her a lot I think she's really talented she was like a big I think she had a Disney show or was it yeah Disney and uh I might read a lot of YA, but Disney Channel shows are not my jam anymore. So for me, it was the same thing. She was in Spider-Man and I was like, oh, she's really good in Spider-Man. Okay. And she's great in Euphoria. So I'm very excited about her casting. Yeah, I uh, I didn't really watch Disney Channel when I was a kid because um, we didn't have that channel, so uh, we can't I think get I didn't it. have it in Canada either. So. Yeah, <laughs> so like I uh, we didn't pay for the extra package with all of the American kids shows. We yeah. had the, the three British kids shows, <laughs> and uh, it's often a point of uh, uh, making fun for. Uh, my husband and his sister because they both had it and they have all these references for Disney shows and I'm like I have no idea what you're talking about um but uh yeah it's uh I I know she was uh, she was quite uh good by then it's really great that she's managed to sort of demonstrate all of her talents and that sort of thing so that's really good and Yeah. yeah I uh I tend to try and flip between my fiction and non-fiction and that sort of thing because I I have a lot of um building related books that I uh, I need to read for um my for sort of professional development and that sort of thing so yeah it's um it's difficult to flip between the two though because uh reading about uh construction and and that sort of thing is <laughs> is is incredibly dry <laughs> um <laughs> I can't um, imagine <laughs> yeah no it's it's incredibly dry <laughs> um awesome so uh part of the idea for uh the podcast was that we wouldn't just sort of do a desert island because mainly whenever i think of sort of desert island discs i always think um i really don't want to go to a desert island because i hate sand um Like I'm if never i ever going to convince you to come to LA it's just a beach <laughs> if i get stranded anywhere i really don't want it to be a desert <laughs> island i can deal with sand in moderation but if the entire island is sand <laughs> that's so funny it just reminds me of when I um I used to go and see my grandmother who lives sort of on the coast in Mm -hmm. the north of England um and we used to go to the beach a lot with like with my cousins and that sort of thing and then when I'd come home uh socks weeks and weeks later that have been washed multiple times would still have sand in them and Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I just (laughs) I just couldn't deal with it so um yeah so part of it was that you get to pick your isolated location to be cast away to so if you have any ideas about what you 
where would you like to go? I actually know exactly uh, where I would like to go. I know like the town I would like to go to. And it's actually uh, closer to your neck of the woods than mine. I would like to be isolated, I suppose, um, a couple kilometers outside of, because you can't be actually in the village <laughs> itself, um, Aberfoyle in Scotland. Oh. It's my favorite place I've ever been. I love Scotland. I'm originally from Canada, so the weather's pretty much the same, but a little bit less snow. Um, I think it's so beautiful. Someday when I'm a very grumpy old person, which I can't wait to be, I'm going to steal things from restaurants, try to stop me. I'm going to be 80. <laughs> um, I want to retire in Scotland or I want to have like a cottage on the coast somewhere, maybe sky, but sky seems a bit intense <laughs> in terms of the weather. Uh, but I visited Aberfoyle when I was uh 14 my high school went there and it's literally my favorite place i've ever been so somewhere kind of like that somewhere a few kilometers outside uh where i'm inside like a domed bubble because i'm being punished by a higher power probably who knows why not um yeah scotland is an amazing place we went um wild camping in scotland last summer uh when we were allowed to leave i the know country. i was <laughs> jealous <laughs> uh so for the brief winter we were, and uh we thought wild camping was maybe a smart move in terms of because neither of us had a holiday between sort of march and august like we hadn't had a single day off let alone mm -hmm. gone anywhere so uh we thought a smart choice of break when we're not supposed to be seeing people was wild camping because we could literally see absolutely no one but us and the dog um so we uh, went up and did that and it's it's amazing some of the just you can't actually believe it exists as you're driving around yes it's amazing it's, it's like the shot in skyfall where they go into that one valley in scotland where everything shoots and the camera doesn't do justice to like the scale or the beauty of it so yes i would like to be rugged and uncomfortable please <laughs> <laughs> sounds great okay <laughs> So uh, if we move into your list, just as a um, list of five books that you want to take with you to your rugged and uncomfortable location yes. <laughs> in Scotland, um, just so the listeners know, I did send uh, this like three very small rules and stipulations, caveats as you would call them, yes. <laughs> um, to uh, the what books can go on it. They are pretty um, simple, just generally that um, it can't be a complete series, aka it cannot be an entire trilogy or an entire book series because, you know, one book should really just mean one book. I did feel the need to put this in there based <laughs> on <laughs> some other people <laughs> that I spoke to about it. Um, and then uh, the remote location, wherever you're going to go, is going to cater to your every need. Uh, you're not going to want to escape because you'll love it so much. Um, so you don't need sort of first aid guides and raft manuals just in case <laughs> um, you, you want to spring and escape that's that's unnecessary unless you really like reading them um and also all genres of books were completely open so your non-fiction your poetry drama graphic novels anything that you want um all it's all reading i audiobooks even they're reading that's a that's a controversial statement which is insane <laughs> <laughs> they're books it's reading oh <laughs> uh, yeah i uh, I, I tend to avoid that debate on the internet <laughs> <laughs> um yeah hopefully they don't find this podcast um anyway you can um, tweet at me at ashley b robinson because you know what i will just ignore you so it's fine <laughs> that's the best approach to have to it so, <laughs> those being the rules what is the first book that you would take with you to your 
a location. <laughs> so I think it's really interesting that you gave the rule that like it could be any genre because I wrote my list and then I went back to look at the rules just to make sure that I followed. And I have a play and I have poems on here. And I was like, oh, good. I'm glad because I thought I was going to have to justify it. <laughs> uh, my first choice, I picked a lot of things that are very long because I'm figuring I'm going to want to read um, things of length. And if I'm going to be there for a long time, uh, an indeterminate amount of time, then hopefully something you won't get sick of right away. So I picked The Iliad by Homer, uh, which is my favorite piece of like ancient Greek or Roman mythological writing. I know everyone's going to come with Ovid and his metamorphoses, and those are great too, but I like the Iliad better. I love the moments when the gods come down from the sky and like imbue Achilles and Hector with their powers. Um, I first read the Iliad when I was a teenager after I saw the movie Troy, which is terrible. Um, unless you're just looking for the cheesecake, then it's great. There's a lot of very, very attractive human beings in that movie. And we were robbed of Sean Bean playing Odysseus in the Odyssey. That's a great casting choice. But the Iliad is great. It's very, very long. And when I first read it, because I was, I was quite young, everyone was like, oh, you can't read that. It's going to be hard for you. And that, that can be true about classical texts. Mm -hmm. That can be true about older writing. But if it's a good translation, um, one that's been done and is either considered the best or is sort of closer to your time, like a more modern translation, it's very accessible because this is where all tropes and themes came from. And I love the story of Achilles and I love the story of Hector in particular. The romance for me is like not really here nor there. And another the reason that I love it is I'm very into comics and graphic novels and superheroes and a lot of the tropes come from the Iliad and the Odyssey and so the Iliad is my favorite version I can't read the original versions so I'll pick a contemporary translation and take that with me it will probably take me a couple days to get through if I'm not doing anything else <laughs> awesome it's actually on my list to read this year because I um yes <laughs> I fell in love with geek uh, uh, with Greek um try again I fell in love with Greek mythology when I was uh really young uh, and I read the Percy Jackson series by Rick Riordan a great um, series yeah it was my in introduction to all of that and um I read like literally everything he wrote afterwards about all different other mythologies um and I kind of uh, realized that even though I was familiar with a lot of the stories um I wanted to go back and sort of read where they came from so I've got a lot of that sort of thing. so I want to read yeah, the Iliad, the Odyssey, all of um, Stephen Fry's um, retellings that he's uh, been publishing that all sound amazing. But that's if you, if you like the Iliad, uh, Virgil's The Aeneid, which is later, it's a Roman, it's a Latin book, um, is a great follow up because it takes place right after the fall of Troy. Um, and then in, in my house, the one of the raging debates is what is better, the Iliad or the Odyssey? And I'm team Iliad. So <laughs> I had to put it on the list. <laughs> It's a really good choice. It's funny, the uh, the length of books seems to be a running theme. Our uh, last guest, <laughs> Lauren, uh, said the same thing. She said if she's going to be there for a while, she wants some really long books. So she was looking at um, she was looking at length as a, a contributing factor as well. So Interesting. <laughs> sounds really good. Um, Okie doke. So that's your first. What mm -hmm. is your second choice? Uh, my second choice is also a classic. This is a set of poems. It's called, in English, it's called The Lay of Marie de France. Uh, Marie de France was a court poet in France. And she wrote, a lay is a type of poetry. Um, she wrote 
what are considered to be the best, some of the best translations and the best French telling of the King Arthur mythos. She's really famous for um, telling a lot of the Guinevere and Lancelot uh, story and introducing a lot of that into like what we think of for that sort of vernacular and what we do with Arthurian myth in contemporary story time. Like every cartoon has a version of the King Arthur story and it always involves the love affair between Guinevere and Lancelot, even that some of the least interesting things um, dying for that Green Knight movie to come out someday. But um, I speak French. I studied Arthurian myth in uni. So the Lay of Marie de France are my favorite versions of the story. I know, again, we're supposed to love um, some of the uh, the English histories, but the French one is my favorite. Uh, it's all mythology. It's all fake anyway. There was a dude named Arthur on a hill somewhere, right? Um, and Arthurian legend are some of my favorite uh, myths and mythology. And something that I've been doing as an adult person is I'm trying to connect more with um, my personal heritage because I feel like that's something that... Um, white people who moved to colonies or who were colonizers uh, didn't do very well is like preserve our history and tradition. And my family is um, English, French and Scottish primarily. And so this is kind of a cool Venn diagram of my familial history as well. And then maybe if I can um, be like really petty and try to bend the rules, I can bring an English and French translation and that will give me something fun to compare. Uh, and then I, I mentioned earlier that I love fantasy. So both of these choices tie deeply into that. And because the lay were written by a woman, um, they're also considered to be the first feminist um, Arthurian retelling. Obviously, it doesn't stack up because uh, they were written in, uh, I don't have the dates, I'm sorry, like the 14 or 1500s. They don't stack up next to um, the Mists of Avalon or like mm -hmm. a more contemporary, even, even like... Um, BBC's Merlin is like way more feminist and forward thinking, which is a great series. If anyone I loved that to watch. show when I was a kid, <laughs> I loved it so much, so so much. And then when she, uh, she became Lena Luther, um, but so there's a lot of really great stories for the female characters. Uh, Morgan Le Fay is really really kick butt in this, and again they're quite lengthy. <laughs> so the Lay of Marie de France uh, are going to be my number four. I had more classics in this than I initially thought. <laughs> going in well i always think they're classics for a reason and they often get like overlooked for sort of contemporary stuff uh in most of the um when i speak to most people uh, who are read reading they sometimes get forgotten about but I, I love classics i remember when i um started studying english literature properly at the slightly more grown-up level in high school um mm -hmm. it just uh it's just a really really fascinating subject where you sort of you know you can expand on two three four five pages of meaning just from a single line of text and all that sort of thing and just going with uh historical context i um really want to read some more about the um, Arthurian sort of legends and that sort of thing because it just it is really interesting and i did love merlin when i was little and i really want to um explore that a bit more that sounds really really interesting as well and it's so cool that um encapsulates so much of your own sort of history and um background and stuff I uh probably I, I do agree I probably should look more into my own sort of heritage um I tend to but you, you have the advantage of sort of living in probably closer proximity <laughs> to the general area <laughs> true I uh I'm, it's always something that I it's really interesting and I find it really uh interesting so many people I speak to in North America have got such 
sort of interesting ties and backgrounds to all these different uh, cultures. And it's just, it's really, it's, it's just really fascinating to just listen about in French, Scottish, is <laughs> just a great one to mix together. They're just they're really interesting. <laughs> it's also just traditionally they were allies. So like, it's mm. kind of funny that um, like in terms of ethnicity, I'm like, oh, like my, my, paternal no my maternal grandfather was French my maternal grandmother was Scottish so like I even though they were long-held allies against the English (laughs) I didn't get those two heritages until after they'd come over to the quote-unquote new world um also a quick google search got my dates totally wrong Marie de France wrote her lay in uh the 1100s in the 12th century so um I'm not a historian (laughs) sorry but I did want to I was like I as soon as I said I was like I know it's wrong I've got to google it really quick I'm sorry I haven't been in university for a <laughs> I wrote one of my final term papers um on her lay so I was like I know a lot about these this will be fun yeah so we've got a text from sort of <laughs> before uh, <laughs> before they started counting so it's for us that's so funny um and <laughs> the 12th century yep are we slowly moving forward in time? We we kind of are, except two and one are flipped because my okay. So my number three is um is from the end of the 16th century, beginning of the 17th century. I'm also bad at math. Uh, <laughs> my number three is, in my opinion, the greatest thing ever written in the English language. You can fight me on uh, on this on Twitter if you would like. Uh, and that is Hamlet by William Shakespeare. Um. I. I just think Hamlet is like the coolest thing ever. When I decided I wanted to be an actor, I was living in uh, Stratford, Ontario, Canada, which is named after obviously Stratford upon Avon. It has like the largest professional Shakespeare festival outside of, you know, uh, anywhere in the UK where he was actually from. And I started um, performing with a youth theater company and the first Shakespeare ever did was Hamlet I played Rosencrantz and the great thing about Hamlet is because it is so beloved and because it is so prolific there's a lot of great writing on it Harold Bloom has a great um I guess criticism we'll call Mm. it um of Hamlet there's a lot of other great things that have spun out of it and that's because it is so amazing in the first place um I, I don't think Hamlet was crazy. I think that's a lazy reading of the text. I think he's too smart for that. I really like the uh, back and forth between him and Laertes as like man of action and man of inaction or man of action, man of thought, um, I think is very, very compelling. And then um, the older I get and the more my more of my life experiences inform me, I get something new out of the play every time I engage with it. Uh, I used to think Gertrude was like really lame and I didn't think she was very compelling. Like I've always thought Claudius was pretty interesting because if you have a great Claudius and a great Hamlet, the rest of the show kind of doesn't matter. Uh, if everyone else is great, that's like an added bonus because their dynamic uh, so carries the thrust of the drama. But like as an adult person now, I'm really interested in um, Gertrude and her humanity because mm-hmm. I think she is a really good mother. And I don't think she's evil, but I think she maybe did an evil thing. So it is Hamlet is one of the texts that the more I return to and the more I engage with, I keep learning something new or it reminds me of something new. And there's always a couplet 
or a phrase or a monologue that just like gets stuck with me and I'll turn over in my head for like years and years and years. I still remember my lines that I had to say as Rosencrantz, not all of them, but some (laughs) of the best ones. So it's maybe of everything on this list, it might be the thing that I've engaged with the most and maybe the one that brings me the most joy, but I have two that are sort of more my favorites. Um, And again, quite lengthy. uh, So I could spend a good amount of time with it. And if I'm alone, just knowing my personality, I'm probably at some point going to work up to a one woman show of Hamlet uh, for the birds and the bluebells. I was literally just thinking you could, you could learn all of the roles. <laughs> there's actually, there's, so I don't know why it just reminded me of this, but um, the show Taskmaster uh, mm-hmm. with Greg Davies, one of the channel challenges that he did on a recent series was um, he made everyone learn two roles in a play and they had to film it on their own and then they meshed them together but he made one of the contestants learn all of the words to all of the roles and perform all of them (laughs) and then mesh them together to make one play where he was just in like six or seven different locations and I just I don't know that just there was the image but you performed all the roles of Hamlet. Truly (laughs) truly my dream honestly because uh, as a as a female unless you're in a very particular type of production you don't get to play a lot of I've, I've been in Hamlet twice um, and I've never played a woman in it. Uh, I was Rosencrantz the first time. I was Laertes the second time you play. I, I've always played them as a female character, but like I've never been Ophelia because um, I'm too loud and my face is too pointy <laughs> and uh, I'm not old enough to play Gertrude yet. So, <laughs> uh, And, the, you know, there's there's other women courtiers, but those are kind of your only goes for it. So that would give me the chance to play Hamlet, who's the. I think the greatest the greatest character you could ever play Uh, and then also play the two female characters so uh, coming to uh, just outside of Aberfoyle Scotland someday (laughs) Ashley Victoria Robinson as everybody in Hamlet (laughs) I would buy a ticket to that Um, (laughs) do they have a a fringe festival maybe I should pitch it (laughs) possibly Um, yeah I we studied a lot of Shakespeare at school um, so I when we went through I think briefly touched on Romeo and Juliet much ado about nothing um, Macbeth I, uh, Macbeth and um, Taming of the Shrew and it wasn't until I uh, joined Sixth Form that we got to do Hamlet mm-hmm. and um, it, is, it is really excellent I very early in my relationship with Shakespeare I didn't get it um, because I plays had never been something that I'd read once and then we had a, a school trip quite early on in um, my sort of introduction to the text um, and we saw a, a live performance of uh, I think it was Taming of the Shrew and then we also saw a live performance of um, Macbeth at some point. And being able to see it live, I, it just kind of all clicked for me because as much as I could read them, I eventually got to the point where I, I do enjoy reading Shakespeare um, on the page. It's just something completely different to see it sort of performed in front of you as well. And um, the Royal Shakespeare Company does a lot uh, near where we live and they always put such sort of there's the last few ones they've always put like a twist on how they're performing it mm-hmm. and, and uh sort of making it accessible to younger audiences as well because a lot of the audiences that I was part of was part of was school and um yeah it's it, it's really interesting Hamlet I found I did find really really interesting because um we just finished doing Taming of the Shrew and um Debating feminism in a class of mostly boys mm-hmm. is really, really hard work. <laughs> um, 
So I was kind of exhausted and then hoping to go down a different um, Shakespeare path uh, that was not focused around feminism and women's roles because I was tired. (laughs) I'm so glad that you brought up the going to see it. And I'm also so happy that you had that opportunity because I maintain that Shakespeare is way more accessible than people think it is and and that uh, it is largely taught wrong because it's mostly school children standing up reciting taking a pause at the end of the line as it's presented on the page versus where the line breaks are with commas semicolons periods whatever um and and when it was written the colloquial phrase was you went to hear a play you didn't go to see a play so it's meant to be spoken and it's meant to be spoken well and I also know that there's a lot of very bad productions of Shakespeare because Shakespeare's in the public domain. Anyone can do it. You don't need permission. Um, so like a lot of community theaters, a lot of small theaters do very bad. Ver- I was in a very bad version of Coriolanus and that play is tough to begin with. Um, and and I so I feel sorry for people who have never had a great experience with Shakespeare because I do think it is very special and very accessible. And uh, someday when I'm very, very wealthy, uh, what I want to do is I want to design um, productions of Shakespeare and then probably other classic plays that you could take to a high school um, or a grammar school very minimally, but make them cool and accessible and fun, um, especially into like underserviced areas, because I just think it's such a gift that you can give to people. And it's something that hit me at a very important time in my life. So anyway, Hamlet is the best. Fight me on Twitter if you would like. <laughs> you. I wouldn't dare. Um, <laughs> I uh, no, I actually, I very thankfully, I mean, in my English, if I wasn't someone, I was never into drama because I, I didn't really like speaking in front of big groups of people. I could speak as the lady with the podcast. <laughs> no, this is the thing. I could speak to, but one on one, even in a group of maybe up to five, I can speak for hours and hours until someone eventually tells me to shut up. Um, but. <laughs> If you make me stand up <laughs> um, or if I'm in a group or even a class where it's a turn to think I I went through a massive where a stage where I just didn't I didn't want to talk in that particular forum. And it's something that I've managed to think about. I, I it meant I never liked drama. I hated it when my teacher made me participate mm-hmm. in drama. <laughs> <laughs> um it just uh it was always something really difficult. But so luckily we never got to we never had to read out the play or at least I was never picked to read out I don't remember having that um, experience but I think um I wish I had a better experience of um Macbeth personally just because I feel like I could have really enjoyed it but the way it was taught to me um kind of set me up to fail at that (laughs) it's a fun one so I hope I hope someday you either get to see a cool movie or a cool stage adaptation it's got witches in it (laughs) well this is why I think there's so many good elements it's like it is really, really, um, it's an interesting play, but I think um, just the particular way I was, I yeah, was yeah, delivered yeah. it um, just kind of didn't work for me. But um, yeah, Hamlet is great. And I do really want someone to, I mean, I like uh, seeing the mind, but I can't do plays at the moment. It'd be really good if someone yes. could like write a really good retelling of Hamlet just in a really interesting um, backdrop. I know uh, a book just got released that was a uh, it was in it was a retelling of Romeo and Juliet, but in mm-hmm. like Shanghai, and there's gangs involved and also. Oh, that's cool. It's called These Violent Delights, and I just heard that I was like, yeah, that that's awesome, and you should definitely market it as a Shakespeare retelling so people get interested in Shakespeare after they read it. 
I also think the National Theatre Live should just release all of those filmed versions of their really fabulous productions for sale instead of only putting them in cinemas for like two weeks. I want that Benedict Cumberbatch, Johnny Lee Miller, Frankenstein more than uh, anything else in this world. And I would pay I would pay whatever they wanted to be able to own it. Um, and the, most of the most of the RSC stuff, like there's a really great RSC um, Macbeth with uh, Judy Dench and Ian McKellen. Uh, that I know in America it's on Amazon Prime, but I'm like, you have it. You know what a gift it would be to the world if you just gave it to us for money. <laughs> yeah, the um, the I know the National um, Theatre during uh, the, the height of lockdown, uh, re- they aired a bunch of their most recent, most popular yes. plays, um, which was a really great thing for them to do. But honestly, I think they'd be doing themselves. They should just set up a streaming service. <laughs> yes, I literally, like when that Frankenstein came out, and that was also like the height of the Sherlock fandom as well. And I love Sherlock Holmes. Um, mm. I wrote them an email and was like, please put this on Blu-ray. Like it, you, it would be such a missed opportunity. And they were like, we're not interested in exploring that right now. <laughs> and I was like, okay, sorry. <laughs> I hate they were nice enough to respond. <laughs> they did, which is more than um, a Broadway a theater would do. So... <laughs> They'd be like, you don't get yeah. Spring Awakening, no. <laughs> yeah, I um, I recently got told about a streaming platform called Broadway HD that um does have some sort of plays and musicals and that they sort of do. thing on it. Yeah, I need to get a membership because I need to watch um some stuff that's been recommended to me, but I haven't had a chance and <laughs> I ever um, have. But, been but able to. most importantly, have you seen Hamilton yet? I I went to see it in London. Um, <laughs> is I just it, got it is two it a years trip? ago. Is it a trip to see that in in England where it's all about like screw you England? It is. <laughs> it is wonderfully refreshing to have someone be that honest about the fact that Britain are the bad guys of history. Like, they are like I I I cannot stress it enough. And I I, I mean I'm from a family who's have lots of very like pride and stuff, but trying to explain that, you know. Britain has been wrong quite a bit in in their exploits in the world. But um, Hamilton, I remember I, so I, I had listened to the soundtrack start mm-hmm. to end hundreds of times. I knew all the words to all of the songs before I went to see it. And uh, when I heard that they were releasing tickets, I bought two tickets. I did, had no idea who was going to come with me at that time. I just, I'm buying two tickets and I'm going to go. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, we, we did, we went down and, uh, I took my husband with me. Uh, he does not do musicals. He doesn't do history <laughs> and he doesn't do hip hop. Um, but essentially, uh, I said, you're coming to see Hamilton with me. And he said, no, I'm not. And I said, really, you're going to make me go down to London on my own? He's like, you do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, well, what if I buy you dinner? And he said, yeah, sure, why not? Um, so, <laughs> um, we ended up going to, uh, a, we went to a, the Gordon Ramsay restaurant that's like, way on the other side of London from the theatre that we were going I, to. I have been to that restaurant as well. <laughs> well, he, it had been, always been a thing that he uh, really wanted to eat as a Gordon Ramsay restaurant. I said, if that's what it takes for me to see Hamilton, then that is what we're going to do. So <laughs> we went there and then um, after we finished our dinner, um, I said, okay, we'll just jump on the tube and we'll go to the theatre. And he said, how much does a tube cost? And I told him and he said, I'm absolutely not paying that, we'll walk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I said, that expensive. <laughs> it's really not I did I did explain that you know if you just tap your little contact list it's going to cost about this much honestly it'll save us a lot of time it's really not that bad 
Um, and uh, he said, absolutely not. We've got two, maybe three hours before the show. We'll, we'll sightsee on the way there. And boy, did we sightsee. If you've ever walked from St. Paul's Cathedral district <laughs> in London, um, we walked past Buckingham Palace. I think mm-hmm. we might have seen um, Westminster. We went, honestly, the amount of sightseeing we saw uh, just walking from there and it did take forever. And I said, it, I, I was like, I should have got the tube and made you do this on your own. <laughs> <laughs> but we eventually got to see the show, uh, which was amazing. Um, but it is, it is, I was surprised it was so massively popular because like, not because it's not amazing, but because Brit. Now, how do I speak diplomatically? British people have a lot of national pride, and they don't necessarily like being reminded of all the times that maybe that national pride was misplaced. But hey, um, Americans are the same way. So <laughs> yeah, so I was surprised, but I remember the thing that got me into Hamilton was because I got it recommended on a on a Spotify shuffle, um, mm-hmm. and it was "You'll Be Back." Uh, so the first song of the Jonathan Groff, he has the same birthday as me. I love him so much. King George is the best role in the show. Well, the reason I stopped was because <laughs> I got to it and I, I recognized the name and I was like, that's that guy that was in Glee and Frozen. And I was like, he's in Hamilton. Strange. I listened to it. So I listened to that one song. And um, as you all know, because you've heard yeah. the music, it's not a good um, sample of what the rest of the music is. <laughs> <No. laughs> Um, music it sounds like so I went to the beginning and I was like and I was like oh I don't really know how I feel about this this isn't like anything I've ever heard before and I eventually I gave it the full shot of listening from beginning to end and I was like this is genius it's amazing it's so good and I just yeah listened to it over and over again and seen it and seen it live was amazing and I, I need to watch the original cast recording but because I saw it live with the cast that I saw it I I, I want to see the original one but um I'm, I think I'm saving it. I'll probably watch it for my birthday this year or something. <laughs> it's long. It's like three and a half hours long. So you will spend your entire afternoon just watching Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's a long one. We were sat quite high up in what is one of a very, very old theaters. So there was not a lot of leg space. And my husband's six foot four. Um, yeah. So he, <laughs> he had to get up to walk multiple times during the, the plot, uh, during the show, which, um, I heard about afterwards, but he came out of it and he, he loved it as well. <laughs> so you win. <laughs> yeah, so I, I went, he, he, um, we were walking back and he was like, yeah, it was really good. That's kind of annoying. <laughs> <laughs> um, this keeps happening. The same thing happened with cabin pressure as well. Yes, I, I love yeah, the most the most English thing. Yeah, I went in my opinion <laughs> on and on, and I said, you absolutely have to listen to cabin pressure. It's got Benedict Cumberbatch in it. It's amazing. <laughs> Um, and he said no, event- but then eventually did because he was driving a lot. And um, I had no idea he'd listened to it until he, he made a reference. I think it was an Arthur joke. And I oh. kind of turned and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you watched it <laughs> um, or listened to it even, um, consumed it. But yeah, it was another moment of a triumph for me because uh, I don't get to be the one who recommends stuff very often. So. Shout out to uh, John Finnamore, I think an under underrated genius um, who played Arthur and who wrote all of Cabin Pressure for anybody listening. Yeah, I had no idea that um, he wrote, he writes so much of um, the TV that I watch uh, in terms of comedy. He was a writer on quite a few of the sort of British comedies that I 
watched. So I was really amazed to realize how much of his stuff that I've uh, I've watched. But yeah, anyway, sorry. Anyway, tangent. anyway, books. Anyway, books. Yeah, sorry, tangent. We've gone down. Yeah, audio dramas and and plays. So Halton is your third choice. An excellent choice to join, and we are moving forward in uh, history. What is your fourth book? Uh, so my next choice is the only graphic novel that I put on my list. Uh, this is my most contemporary choice, uh, and that is Robin Year One. Uh, it's written by Chuck Dixon, who is my favorite uh, Robin comic book writer. Uh, Robin is my favorite superhero, if uh, you don't listen to my podcast, Geek History Lesson. And Year One is my favorite. It's my preferred Dick Grayson origin. Dick Grayson is the first Robin, so it is by default my preferred Robin origin. It is the most succinct telling of that story. I actually I actually like Dark Victory by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale better, but I think Robin Year One is a better Robin story. Um Dark Victory is much more of a Batman story and how Batman welcomes Robin into his life. Robin Year One shows you um, Robin going on solo missions for the first time, him trying to figure out what his dynamic is going to be, how he's going to stand both in the shadow of the bat and on his own two feet. The art is absolutely beautiful and they do print a nice new... If anyone is reading this and they're not playing by the rules of the show, they print it with a really nice version now. That's Batgirl Year One and Robin Year One by Scott Beatty. That's really, really incredible. Uh, but they were originally published separately. So I'm going to take Robin Year One. It's my favorite superhero. I never, ever get tired of Robin stories or Robin origin stories. Origin stories are my favorite. A New Hope is my favorite Star Wars story. Like I, I love an origin story. I love seeing where people come from. Um, and I love sad little kids or sad, innocent characters learning that they can overcome and that they are good enough and that their contribution will save the world. It's why Lord of the Rings is my favorite thing ever, which we're going to talk a little bit more than uh, my, my top choice. But because Frodo is that archetype, even though he's like technically in his 40s when he finally goes on that quest. But uh, so Robin, you're one. It's a book that I consistently recommend to other people as well. So I would be remiss if I didn't recommend it to myself. I didn't take my own advice. It is quite short by comparison. Uh, it's probably 120 pages, I think, maybe 150 with some back matter slapped in there. <laughs> but even though I'm not getting as much bang for my buck in terms of words, there's a lot of other visual aspects in terms of the art and the design and the layout. And I think once I've spent a million years reading about ancient mythological figures and ghosts and revenge, there's a lot of revenge in all my previous choices. Uh, I think that this might be a good palate cleanser as well. Just a little quick one and done. You can probably read this in under two hours. Um, and I really like, if anyone is not familiar, I can't recommend Robin, your one, whether you think you like comic books or not, I think it's a very, very special book. I had a feeling there would be an appearance. <laughs> when we when we first met, um, Jordan and I were talking about our, our love of of DC Comics and uh, and her love of Damian Wayne, which pierces me right in my heart and soul. <laughs> my least favorite Robin. <laughs> I did say in my defense, my introduction to Damian Wayne was Super Sons, which is really yes. him in his absolute best lights. <laughs> Absolutely, it, it's the best version of him. <laughs> so. 
Yeah, I am. Um, yeah, soft spot for Damian Wayne. But I actually, uh, I, I watched Titans for the first time uh, <laughs> over the uh, sort of Christmas break. And um, I have not really uh, read or watched a lot around uh, Dick Grayson, but um, mm-hmm. I found that interesting. I know he's, it's a, it's a bit different from uh, what I know about um, Titans necessarily in that. Yes. Group. But yes. It's, <laughs> I, I, I appreciated the story that they were telling. I, uh, I actually really like Titans. I think it figures out what it's doing by the end of the first season. And then I think it gets like really, really good. And I love that little kid who plays Jason Todd because he's like the only person who seems like he's having any fun. Um, I I don't know if I think he's the most amazing actor, but I think he is like a good time to watch. Every time he shows up, he makes me laugh. Um, And I also love the guy who plays um, Hawk because he's just like a weird, (laughs) dumb jock as a character. Titans brings me a lot of joy, um, even though it is super, super different than... Teen Titans, which is my favorite superhero team. But I like I like an adaptation when you can find something different. It doesn't all have to be a carbon copy. And that's a whole other, you know, talking about audiobooks or that's a whole yeah. other debate is like uh, adaptation. But <laughs> Titans is a good one. So people haven't checked it out. Cosign, highly recommend. Yeah, it was um it was a good experience. I uh, I I definitely appreciate Jason Todd in every scene he's in. One of the absolute <laughs> Oh, I, I was, I was laughing so much. I had to, I think I had to pause the show. Um, I, and it wasn't anything he actually did. It was an interaction between him and Gra- Dick Grayson because he was, he was being himself, and and uh, <laughs> Dick put him in his place. <laughs> and um, is, it, it is, was, it the, is it the training scene? No, I think he's trying to uh, basically make out like he's going to go and do what he wants, and just literally he steps up to Dick Grayson. He's like, "Don't do this," and then. Um, he does it again because he's Jason Todd yeah. and <laughs> and just Dick just literally just grabs him by the side of the head. Oh yes, puts him on the ground. Yes, like the smoothest move ever. And I just remember watching it. I just absolutely cracked up. I had to like pause it, take a deep breath before I could start watching because I was like, that is, I could watch that on repeat. That was amazing. Someone who's listening is like horrified by that story, but it is, it's so Jason Todd, and Jason Todd is another character who in adaptation they do so dirty. Mm. Like they don't do well by him, but like that's the most Jason Todd reaction and the way they shoot it too, you're like, you could see the panel. You could see like Dick's arm coming down as he's like pushing his stupid head down. But anyway, Dick Grayson's not a bully. He's a really sweet, innocent boy in Robin. He's not. Wife. He just has to teach <laughs> valuable lessons to <laughs> idiots. Kids. <laughs> it, is, it is excellent. No, uh, Rowing Your Ones are really good. And also, you get, like I see, you get all of the artwork, you get visual um, value as well. And uh, yeah, I, I imagine artwork is probably something you, you'll have to get, like, prints or something to decorate your clear bubble in that's right yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'll just be redrawing very poorly my favorite panels from the the fight with the hatter i also appreciate in that story he's not just going up against a batman villain they very i mean he is but um they very often will pit the robins against various batman villains and it's really hard to see robin take on someone like the joker or Mm two-face or even catwoman um but they put him against uh, the Mad Hatter, who is like a, a minor Batman villain. Um, 
and since he's obviously based on the character from Alice in Wonderland, I thought it was a good choice for like a child superhero. And he's a character that got more definition by being a Robin foe. So I also appreciate just sort of from like the macrocosmic DC mm-hmm. universe view of that, um, the choice to give him a foe who would let him stand on his own. Yeah, I uh, it's a excellent one, and I it was one of the only ones that I felt like I could possibly predict because I was I was trying to have a think about what books might make it and I had some (laughs) ideas uh but I was like there's just so many because I mean um for anyone listening if you haven't listened to Geek History Lesson you absolutely should because um the recommended reading is just gold dust in list form it's just um, everything that I've ever read that you've recommended is awesome so (laughs) I was then trying to narrow it down to five and I was like absolutely I was like she's not gonna be she's gonna come here with like a hundred books and it's just gonna I'm just gonna let her take them all (laughs) Oh man, I mean, it would be, like if I had to do this in real life, it would actually be really, really hard. <laughs> like yeah. as a thought experiment, it's fine because you're like, okay, like I'm going to make a list that's going to make me sound like smart and interesting and <laughs> dynamic and whatever. Uh, but if you like actually gun to your head, I'm like, that would be, it would be such a hard choice. And I have um, a lot of bookcases and I'm not strong. So I could probably only manage about five books that a go anyway. <laughs> yeah, I um, I haven't even contemplated making my own list. I, I said, uh, if I make it to 50 episodes, I might do my list for that you one. You should. <laughs> that's a great idea. Because that's also, that's about a year. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, so, yeah, no, I am, um, I'm trying, I try not to think about my list, but um, I have a feeling it's going to be even more difficult once I've read all of the great books I'm being recommended. By <laughs> oh, yeah. When, when Jordan and I were talking about the show, I was like, your, your TBR pile has to, uh, be out of control and you're like oh it already is <laughs> yeah I've already had to add like so many just just from the few episodes because they they're also so amazing I think when you speak to someone about um their favorite books they can always speak so uh lovingly and they can they can make the absolute best case for reading them as well mm-hmm. so it's um yeah it's it's fine I've got lots of he wants to read I uh Robin uh year one has been on my wish list for a while but I have the uh, Robin Year One and Batgirl Year One edition on my wish list. Which okay, I was gonna, I was gonna ask. I was like, do you own a copy? Because if not, I will send you one. <laughs> no, I need. I it's it's been on my list. I uh, I give everyone my book wish list at Christmas uh, yes. for friends and family and that sort of thing. Uh, they don't believe me when I say I want just want books for Christmas. They they think I'm lying to trick them. Um, but I do, <laughs> I do mean it. So I keep I keep on uh, just sending out that I will eventually. I think I'll probably uh, treat myself to it maybe at some point in the future i really need to read the books i own <laughs> yeah, yeah no that's the thing that i'm trying to do in, in in quarantine time is go through everything that's in my home that i haven't read and it's overwhelming and i'm still reading digital books a lot yeah i am um, i mean a lot of my books on my physical tbr are actually geek history lesson uh recommendations to the point where I Sorry. was like, well, I, the thing is, I was like, oh, I feel like I want to do like a picture with all of my Geek History Lesson recommendations. And when I started pulling them, I was like, there are a lot here. <laughs> and they're all kind of uh, quite mixed. And I also lent a few of them to a friend because uh, he had to isolate on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, can you just lend me as many books as you're willing to lend me? So I just put a box together and a lot of them were just like, just like well, I mean, these are all great. great books, so <laughs> they're all going. So uh, yeah, they some of them are traveling away from home. Oh, that that's amazing, though. Like that makes my heart warm. <laughs> I'm like, oh, we're doing good work besides just uh, screaming at each other in our office all day. <laughs> I, I mean, to be honest, I think you'd be doing good work. <laughs> anyway, they're 
really interesting episodes, cannot recommend them enough. Um, I when I always when people ask me for uh, ask me for podcast recommendations, it's usually top of my list. But anyway, sorry, that's okay. And then we've got the fifth and final book, which. I think you alluded to earlier and I was one of my guesses. <laughs> well, so my, my first choice, like my number one choice, top choice had to be some Tolkien. Uh, like I said, Lord of the Rings is my favorite thing of all time. Uh, it, I don't know necessarily what it is, but like I got really into it when I was about 12 years old, which I feel like is when your brain is at its mushiest. And when I'm sorry, if there's any 12 year olds listening, your brain is mushy. <laughs> And the things that you absorb around that time in your life uh, really come to define you and attach to you because I think that's sort of when your personality solidifies. Like, obviously, people change and grow, and uh, most of us calm down a little bit when we're over 20. Um, most of yeah, us. Most, yes. That's the key cat. I live in the United States now, so it definitely comes with the most of us, <laughs> not to get too political about it. Um, but the I, I reread the Lord of the Rings series regularly. I have read all the histories. I've read all the po. I have read like everything that is officially canon, and a lot of the uh, criticisms of it as well. And the thing that, if this is the thought experiment of I don't know how long I'm going to be here, I picked the thing that I keep getting different things out of, and I come to appreciate more and more. So my top pick is the Silmarillion which for um, all intensive purposes is the ancient history of Middle Earth. It's the history of the planet Arda, which is like the planet, the world that Middle Earth is on. There are other, uh, there are other continents and Middle Earth is only as big as you see on the map, right? Like it extends past that and it tells the story um, of the, they're not, they're not called gods and goddesses, but if you're looking at it sort of as an analog for like contemporary religions or contemporary mythos, um, the gods and goddess figures, the Valar come over from Valinor. They're basically like mystical elves. Um, and they all kind of like the Celtic gods, right? Like Sari Dwen is the goddess of like hearth and home and she has a chariot and she is personified by a uh, weaving. So all of the Valar kind of have those types of traits and characteristics. And it tells about them coming over in the beginning of the race of elves and um, the Astari, the wizards eventually being born. By the way, there's five wizards. There's not just three. Uh, and why they choose to make them old and what their purpose is. And then the rise and fall of Morgoth, who's the first Dark Lord, which eventually leads into the rise and fall of Sauron, who we've all seen in Lord of the Rings and the creation of men and hobbits and how Elrond had a twin brother named Elros and they had to pick if they were going to be an elf or a human and how they broke off and then founded the different races. So like Elrond is definitely the head of a sub race of elves and Arwen and Aragorn are related way, way back. It's kind of weird. Uh, it's it's my favorite. There is uh, Jordan's laughing at me. <laughs> There's a lot of poetry in here as well and there is also a lay and I mentioned that uh, Marie de France wrote lays about King Arthur so there is the lay of Baron and Luthien is probably the most famous um, poem in here and that tells the story of the first human and elf who fell in love um, which obviously is the precursor to the Arwen and Aragorn story and if you get a chance to go to Oxford and you walk like me um, are too cheap to get a cab because it costs slightly more than the tube you walk the three miles out of town to the cemetery there um, on um, J.R.R. Tolkien and either Tolkien's graves or headstones say Baron and Luthien so, like he wrote that poem for his wife which I think is really really beautiful and I just think the Silmarillion is like the coolest thing ever. Um, 
it's it's hard it is like homework and you're gonna spend a lot of if you're not into linguistics like I speak a couple different languages. I took Latin in high school. If you're not into languages, it's hard because there's no pronunciation guide. The first chapter is kind of, uh, called Ainu uh, Lindawe, and you just kind of have to uh, know what an umlaut over an E probably means in an Anglo-Saxon context or make it up for yourself and go from there. But I don't mind that thought experiment. I think that is really fun. And this combines... In the most contemporary sense, I think the sensibility of what I'm going for here, I want epic stories. I want small, sad people who win over evil. <laughs> I want uh, a classic hero's journey or like a big world-changing literary trope. I want something that feels kind of like um, a history of a society that I feel a connection to. And then Tolkien writes my favorite style of prose, which to make a funny joke about it, uh, spends a lot of time talking about trees. And the older I get, the cooler I think trees are. So I am going to uh, exclusively reread the Silmarillion, colored up under probably a leaf bear tree, depending on the season, <laughs> somewhere out <laughs> in Scotland. And uh, that is like a perfect scenario in my mind. So a great weekend, a great vacation for me usually involves um, a cabin in the woods somewhere uh, with a little bit of rain rereading this book. So when we when I started making this list and when we agreed that it's going to be on the show, I was like the Silmarillion, number one, absolutely. And then the rule came about you can't have a complete anything. So I was like, OK, well, then Lord of the Rings is out. It's only going to be the Silmarillion. I thought for a minute, I was like, what if I just make it like the Silmarillion, Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, Return of the King? And then I was like, that's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> that's like too obfuscated and too intentionally <laughs> weird. Well, it would have triggered a really long and in-depth discussion about Lord of the Rings and the reason why you love all three, all of the books. So, I mean, it could have been really good. I'd be like, Jordan, uh, let me just tell you about Gondor, okay? It's like really important. They got a tree. They see trees. I love trees. <laughs> Aragorn's there. He's very handsome. Pippin's there. Billy Boyd is my long-has-held crush. And it's like, I got to tell you about Gondor. When uh, the Lord of the Rings Amazon show sponsors your episode, I will come back and we can do the five Tolkien choices. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be awesome. That is that's that's the goal now. Yeah, that's the goal post. <laughs> yeah, essentially. So I um the Silmarillion. I've had a copy of that book um uh, mm -hmm. for a really long time. Um, I think the reason I've not read it yet is because it was when I first got into the idea of collecting books as well as just reading them. And I managed to uh, I got a copy of the American first edition of the Silmarillion. Um, and I I know there's tons of copies of this particular book now, and I I, I understand. Uh, mm -hmm. that is a part of a collector's thing but um, it was because it was the first one I got I, um, it's really really special it's like it started my book collecting uh, phase and I always knew that I uh, wanted to read The Lord of the Rings at that, mm -hmm. at some point and it's really I was talked about this with much, but there's, there's so many books out there that they're on my to read list and I know I'm going to fall in love with them I just haven't had the time to read them and fall in love with them yet but um, I think yeah Lord of the Rings is, is something I need to I need to tackle this year because it's just, I've watched, I've seen all of the films uh, at the behest of my very best friend who adores Lord of the Rings. And um, I, I'm getting, yeah, I can't avoid it anymore. I can't put it off anymore. <laughs> I absolutely have to read it. Please um, send me a message when you do. <laughs> I definitely will. I've read The Hobbit and I loved The Hobbit when I read it. Um, and I definitely, I want to, I want to, progress with the series it's so strange um last year um i 
was going through sort of a planning phase where I started just planning trips with no exact date to them because I didn't know when we would be able to take them. And mm-hmm. a trip that I planned for me and my best friend and uh, Ruby Loden, previous guest of the podcast, um, because they're the people who love, uh, they, they both love uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, they uh, basically said they wanted to go to New Zealand and see all of the Lord of the Rings places. Um, so I planned a basically week-long um, itinerary for traveling in New Zealand, seeing all of these places where Lord of the Rings was filmed, starting in Auckland and Hobbiton uh, mm-hmm. and then working way down to various mountains and locations, which you are more than welcome to join us on when it eventually happens. But it's um uh it's really amazing. I was just doing a lot of research about um filming locations and that sort of thing and how it leads into it and you can follow sort of the path through um New Zealand and almost kind of follow along with the story of the book. So if I you're if you're gonna do that, I highly recommend looking up um there's a gentleman called Mike the Guide. He is a travel guide, uh, and he actually was um an extra a featured background performer in several scenes across the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, and he's based out of Wellington, which is where Weta's based, and he'll do the Lord of the Rings tour. He's a really lovely guy. And when I, I was in Wellington for work. And um, he reached out to me and was like, I'd love to show you around, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, the only thing I want to do is I want to go to the rock quarry where they shot Minas Tirith. Like, I don't need anything else. Because like I said, Gondor. And he was like, it's a working quarry by the highway. Like, you cannot go there. And I'm like, all I want to do is go by the rock quarry where they shot Minas Tirith. And so he drove me all the way out there with the Gondor music playing. And we drove past and I cried. (laughs) Um. But yeah, if anyone, that's another thing I want to do. I want to do that for like two weeks, like go, go to like the northmost point, make your way down, see the little hill where Edoras is and, uh, you know, all, all that. But New Zealand is like unfathomably gorgeous and they make really good coffee. So highly, highly recommend. Also, if you're into sheep, uh, New Zealand's great for that too. Lots of sheep. <laughs> yeah, it was, I was kind of spoiled for choice when I was, uh, when I was looking at all the things to do and even for, even outside of Lord of the Rings, I basically could have filled two weeks with just Lord of the Rings. Yes. Things. Um, but like outside of that, there was just so many amazing uh, things. They've got a clock that reenacts, it's a glockish yeah. clock that reenacts Romeo and Juliet four times a day. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was just, um, it, it just sounds like a really amazing place, somewhere I really want to go eventually when I'm allowed to go places. Um, yeah. Yes. I, I was going to say, no, I won't say it. And New Zealand's <laughs> amazing uh, and they're lovely and uh, they made fun of my funny accent. So highly recommend visiting. <laughs> uh, I am um, lost, lost my sentence. <laughs> Sorry. It'll come back a bit. It'll come back if it's important. <laughs> oh, yeah. I uh, Basically, I hadn't really understood um, how uh, meaningful and how sort of emotional it could be to see uh, somewhere that where someone thinks something was filmed. So uh, mm-hmm. for me, I, it's not something that I'd ever done or ever really wanted to do. Just It had just never been something that appealed to me. And then when we went to Scotland last year and we went to some of the places that Harry Potter was filmed specifically, mm-hmm. which Harry Potter, like a lot of people, big part of my childhood something that I watched a lot when I was younger, even though I haven't watched it as much recently. Um, And when I got to sort of specific places where you sort of walk uh, through and it's like, you can see the actual scene behind where Hagrid's Mm -hmm. spot is filmed and that sort of thing. 
um, I just remember just being completely like taken aback by how it would feel and that sort of thing. So I, it's something that I kind of want to explore with different, <laughs> with, with all these other things that I love as well. Cause I, I was just like, oh, this is just amazing. I need, I need a photo of me in front of this. <laughs> Um, the other the other side of that is like I live in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and so a lot of things have shot here and like I'm completely like not taken away by anything that's ever shot in LA because I'm like oh that's Griffith Park I know where that is <laughs> but to go to another like to make that pilgrimage uh, I think is quite something oh it's quite funny video games have been used in a lot more sort of locations because my cousin was playing a video game and I saw it in the background of like a video call and it was like he was driving around London and I was like that's London that, that's actually London I've been down that road <laughs> I was like, they did a really good job. <laughs> um, so I was like, that's really impressive. I mean, they, they replicated that really well. <laughs> uh, the first time I ever went to London, I remember our tour guide being like, there's MI5, there's MI6. If anyone's into James Bond, everyone's like, oh, wow, these office buildings, how cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, um, yeah, office buildings. There's, I, I mean, they're lovely office buildings, but they're office buildings. Absolutely. I mean, I, because <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I design offices as part of my job and that sort of thing. And I, I'm quite, I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to offices, just with the way they're designed. Because I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. Oh, they did that. Um, but equally, I don't think I could do a tour of, of <laughs> specific offices. <laughs> uh, so those are your five books. Do you want to summarize the? The full list? Yes. So going from uh, first to last choice, I had The Iliad by Homer, uh, The Lay of Marie de France, Hamlet by William Shakespeare, Robin Year One by Chuck Dixon, and The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. Excellent. And did you have any honorable mentions that nearly made your very sophisticated, very impressive list? My very smart people (laughs) list. Um, I almost put another Robin story called Robin to Kill a Bird. It is uh, by Bill Willingham. It's from the later um, Robin series. Robin got his first series in the 90s, all the way up to the mid 2000s. I, I don't consider the later half to be the best part of his series, but that was the first um robin standalone graphic novel that i ever bought so it really means a lot to me personally i just think robin your one is a better story um and i don't mean that to sound shady but i just thought especially because like these are also low-key recommendations so as a one and done it's a much better more sophisticated look at the character to read to kill a bird you have to know like a lot about what was going on in dc history at the time and the bat and like that's a big ask if especially if someone's never read a robin story before um i considered putting return on the return of the king on here because that's my actual favorite um like lord of the rings uh world story as well um so unfortunately that didn't make my list um and then i also put um, I almost put Middlesex by Jeffrey Eugenides on my list because I think Jeffrey Eugenides and Cormac McCarthy are two of the best uh, contemporary American authors who are writing. Cormac McCarthy can be a little too mean for my taste. Um, I think The Road is probably his best thing in terms of my like what I like. Um, but I really, really like Middlesex. I think it has a lot to say. And I think it's a very sophisticated take on... Um, gender and identity from a cis man, which I know we're not all necessarily looking for, but like as a fiction, um, it's very, very good. I thought about putting one of RuPaul's earliest books on here because I think that his memoirs from like the 90s and the early 2000s, like right before he broke really big, are very cool because they're a lot about like 
crazy stories about working in New York and believing in yourself. And the, if you have enough grit and determination, like if you see yourself as a star, you will be. And as someone who's a creator and an actor, that really hits home with me. Um, and then I just recently got into Octavia Butler, who is like the preeminent black science fiction writer. And um, it is eerie if you read her work, how, cause she's no longer with us, how prophetic it feels to this time. And um, I know she's very popular in a lot of um, spiritual circles and a lot of people who are like looking for um, enlightenment and answers really turn to her. And it is like wild to read these stories, which are published as fiction. And it, I'm like, it feels like you predicted the pandemic and the arguable downfall of an empire. But if you are not into like the woo woo side of it, they're really, really great science fiction as well. And uh, I feel like I didn't do enough justice to female writers with my list. Um, it being that I only have one on my list and she is ancient and super, super dead. Um, there's also a version of my list where it's all just like contemporary YA uh, because I am I'm reading Mirage right now, or I'm about to start Mirage, mm -hmm. uh, which is a sci-fi series that was recommended to me. But like, there's so much good, or like, I could just have a list that's all like Sarah Reese Brennan books. <laughs> yeah. Could just do a genre-based list. Of yeah, every genre. Absolutely. I mean, you're gonna be in like your six or seven, like when when your podcast is as old <laughs> as my podcast. Um, yeah, so you're gonna be like, okay, like, can you just do your graphic novels, or uh, who do I know who can do horror? Like, I haven't read a ton of horror because I'm a giant baby. Um, <laughs> But like I couldn't do like what are the best Clive Barker stories because they're too scary. <laughs> well, in several years' time, who knows? Maybe I'll go. Oh, all those people that I left on those deserted locations. They could probably do <laughs> five more books. <laughs> I'll, I'll get in touch <laughs> and see if they want five more books. It's be like, are you sick of Hamlet yet? How many times have you remounted it? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's the thing. Return of the King. Um, I think is I've heard this a lot uh, from a lot of people that's a uh, favorite and I think it's um it's interesting because uh usually most people's favorite in a series is like the first one so I always mm -hmm. find it really interesting when it's not the first one um yeah no they I mean all great uh, you can have them all do you want them <laughs> yes please <laughs> <laughs> no I um that's really sorry it was a really, really great list. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I I have more books to read. I'm gonna have to go and add them to my <laughs> to my wish list. Well, um, the great thing about my list is the first three are free because they're all public domain. So every digital book, so if you if you go digital, you can find like free versions of all of these. So yeah, I, I actually have several. I think I have yeah. copies of most of them as well. <laughs> so I, I really have no excuse not to read them because I do actually already own them. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that is an awesome list. And thank you so, so much for being on podcast with me. If anybody listening wanted to hear more about what books you like to read or other things, where could they maybe find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ashley V. Robinson. The V is very important. Ashley Robinson is a WNBA player. I don't want to fight for SEO because uh, she's bigger and stronger than me. I'm sure she's lovely. I want to meet her someday. Uh, but so Ashley V. Robinson, that's me. Uh, please uh, tweet me your recommendations because uh, like Jordan, I'm always looking for more things to read. Tweet me cute pictures of Robin. Um, if the sound of my voice didn't make you want to crawl out of your seat, then you can listen to the Geek History Lesson podcast where all fine podcasts are had. We have over 350. 
50 episodes. So if you're looking for free entertainment, I got you, girl. Don't even worry about it. Um, and then if you would like to see me put my money where my mouth is, you can also pick up um, a bunch of comic books that I have written. Um, they've been nominated. Uh, they're award losing books. Um, I have a series with uh, Jason Inman, who is my husband and my podcast co-host called Jupiter Jet. Uh, there's two volumes in that Jupiter Jet and the Forgotten Radio is the second volume. It just came out a couple months ago. Our other uh, original graphic novel, Science, The Elements of Dark Energy, is available. And then um, if you're listening to this before the middle of February 2021, uh, you can go to superbestfriendcomic.com. Uh, that is Jason Standalone, Superman uh, homage. Ooh, I punched my microphone. Superman inspired story. I'm very enthused by it. Um, if you're reading this later than that, I'm sure you can find out where all fine comics are had. Um, the plan is for that to be a series. It's really good. I was the first uh, beta reader and I wasn't an editor on it, but that's a great one too. So if you liked anything I said and would like to see if I can stand up to this, um, you might be disappointed, but I definitely try in all of those books. If you want a signed copy of them, you go to jasoninman.com slash store and I'll sign it. Send it anywhere in the world to you. Thank you. And I highly recommend literally everything that Ashley just said. <laughs> <laughs> I have oh, and follow me on Goodreads. I just got on Goodreads. I need more friends. <laughs> yes, all of that. All of that. I have read all of the books published to date and they're all excellent for all readers of all ages. So if you have any birthdays or Christmases coming up, and you don't know what to buy for kids, you should buy them books. Um, yes, yes. co-sign yes. Eve. They don't have to be my books, but just give, be, just, give people books. Yeah, you, sh you should buy people books for presents. That people need to read more. Um, awesome. So go follow Ashley on all of the social media. Follow Geek History Lesson. Go to superbestfriend.com because I've also backed that. I'm really excited. That is also on my TV. Um, yeah, you, you were like the sixth person. Yeah, oh, <laughs> I was, my, I had a glitch in my internet. I was insanely cross that I didn't, that I didn't get this. I was, I was ready. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and if you wanted to uh, follow the podcast on social media, you can follow it at, at books to last pod on Twitter we have Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we are on Apple Podcasts and a bunch of other podcast providers that are also come under Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher uh, and a few others. I'm still waiting for Spotify, but it's coming. <laughs> they, they, they take a minute. Yeah, I think you need a minimum of five episodes. So if you're listening to this, when you're trying to catch up on the five episodes, you can also find this on Spotify. Hey. <laughs> um, so thank you again, actually, so much for being with me and joining us on the podcast it was so much fun and I can't believe this actually happened I'm so excited um uh, yeah thank you for having me and thank you for uh doing the time zone math because I definitely only sent my time zone recommendations so I really appreciate that because it's hard uh it was it was a whole mind thing I was like so we're gonna be on the same day but she's gonna be further back in the day than <laughs> yeah. I'm going to. uh it was really strange but yes Thank you, Ashley, for being on the podcast. Thank you, listeners, for listening. And uh, until next time, bye.